Okay, everybody, good morning, Grace Church. If y'all would make your way in here, we're going to start praising the Lord. There's a lot of times we've been in trouble, lost in sin, all kinds of different needs we have, but you know what? Our Lord Jesus has lifted us, so I thought Miss Sue suggested we do this song this morning. I said, that's a great idea. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. It's on the board. If y'all would stand up with us. Worship the Lord. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Can we clap? <laughs> so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, then Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, then Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Come on, it's not too early to clap, is it? Can we clap? Let's start from the top. Start from the top of that song. Ready? I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. I'm so glad that Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, then Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. When I was in trouble, Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. I was lost in sin, but Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus lifted me. <laughs> All, right. All right. I think we'll have some scripture reading. Well, we want to welcome all of you to the Grace Church at Franklin worship services and want to say hello to all of you who are watching by YouTube, or Ustream, or Sermon Audio Video. We're glad to have you. We're going to begin our services after this uh, uplifting song that we've just done with a scripture reading and prayer. Elder Joe Turner is going to do the honors. Good morning. I'd like to read from the book of Psalms, Psalm 122. It's entitled, One of the Song of Degrees. As the people would go up unto Jerusalem to worship, they would sing these hymns. And in Psalm 122, he says, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. 
Jerusalem is built it as a city that is compact together, whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, unto the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, they shall prosper who love thee. Peace be within thy walls, and prosperity within thy palaces. For my brethren and companions' sake, I will now say, Peace be within thee. Because of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek thy good. He's talking, I think, here. Of course, the Psalms were written about the city called Jerusalem, but for us, it's that heavenly Jerusalem that Abraham looked for. And it won't be until we assemble there, we can say, I was glad when it was said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, his house, to worship him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you and bless you now that you have been pleased to put it in our hearts to once again come and assemble in this place that you have preserved us through another week, that you have given us the life and the energy and the desire to come here to sing your praises and to worship your holy name. And we ask indeed that you would be pleased to stay our hearts, attentions, and affections upon thee, that in this time we have together that you would receive praise and honor and glory for you alone art worthy. And we thank you for these blessings now in Christ's name and for his sake we pray. Amen.
haste and so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved to enter the kingdom, leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me, foes may beset me, still will I enter in. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee. I am resolved. Delay taught by the Bible, led by the Spirit, will walk the heavenly way. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to same into that. That makes me think of uh, Brother Bill used to talk about a lot when y'all had the school, when y'all had the little school and all the children would be talking about how good do you have to be to go to heaven? Uh, well, yeah, eventually Brother Bill would tell him you have to be as good as God. Well, that's kind of like talking about how, how big is Jesus, how strong is Jesus? Well, this song tells us right here, he's the greatest and the highest. I talked to my little girls about that. We were talking about that the other day reading something, and it's fun the way a little child's mind works, <clears throat> and it's uh, an insight into the way we come to the Lord by faith. A child that says, well, is Jesus bigger than the house? Yeah, he's bigger than the house, honey. Is he bigger than uh, the car? He's definitely bigger than the car. And she said, is he bigger than you? I said, oh, he's way bigger than me. I, I need him so bad, just like you do, but I love these songs like that. And can't you see, I am resolved to hasten to him. That person must have ex already experienced the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way you can have that type of resolve, to hasten to the Savior. Well, let's do um, It Is Well With My Soul. Miss Sue, what number is that? 256 in the hymnal. Aren't you thankful that Miss Sue is back with us also? When peace like a river attendeth my way When sorrows like sea billows roll Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say It is well Should come, 
let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul my sin oh the bliss of this glorious thought my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more praise the Lord praise the Lord oh my soul it is well my soul it is well it is well with my soul and Lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll the trump shall resound and our Lord shall descend even so it is well with my soul it is well with my soul it is well it is well with my soul say praise the Lord to that. Praise the Lord. Amen. All right. Good morning. Allow me to extend my welcome to the members here at Grace Church and those of you who are joining us for the first time, as well as those of you who are watching via the internet. I want to remind you that if you're a first-time visitor here with us, well, I guess I won't remind you if you're a first-time visitor because you hadn't heard it before, <laughs> but we do ask any first-time visitors to sign the register that's located in our foyer just so that we might have a record of your attendance. <clears throat> Take a time in this service to uh, mention those of our church family who are in need of prayer, and while I don't have all of them, I certainly will mention those that I do have. I, I certainly want to continue to thank you for your prayers on my behalf. I am feeling much, much better, and I'm thankful to the Lord for his grace and mercy every day. <clears throat> we want to continue. Thank you. We want to continue to remember Carl and Ruby Perry, and we're thankful for the Lord that they are back with us today. <clears throat> we talked to Ruby a couple of days ago, and uh, Pam said, <clears throat> you can tell everybody that Carl roughed you up a little bit. And I said, everybody knows you're tougher than Carl, and he couldn't get away with that. <laughs> 
Well, she's recovering from a recent fall, and so we want to continue to remember her as she heals up and thankful for the Lord's deliverance to her. Becky Smith's mom, Ruth, continues to be in Williamson Medical Center. She's in room 633, and uh, they have, uh, treat, they're treating her for what they believe to be a microbe imbalance after the surgery that she had. They said it's uncommon for that to happen, so they are treating for that. The medication seems to be working, and their intentions are to move her to a rehabilitation uh, center soon. So let's continue to remember uh, Becky's mom, Ruth. The Smiths are not here. They have been sick this past week, and plus they're worn out from travels back and forth to the hospital, so let's continue to remember them. Also, let's remember Mary Haddon and her son, Ben, and the recent loss of our brother, Wally. Uh, we continue to bless the Lord that Shirley Murphy is here with us today. We're thankful that Betty Hathcock is with us today. We want to continue to remember them before the Lord. We also remember uh, Briley Crutcher, who has ovarian cancer, for Betty Hethcock's friend, Jeff Butler, who has cancer of the spine. Certainly want to remember Howie Smith, who's a servant in our military and experiencing some high blood pressure issues. And Mark and Diane's son, Brandon, has or spondylosis excuse me, of the spine, which is a degeneration of the spine, and he also has a bulging disc that is extremely painful, pushing on a nerve. So they're going to start with some injections, and hopefully that will help correct this problem and avoid surgery. So let's pray that that would be the case. Again, his name is Brandon. We also want to remember Calvin and Judy LePetri. I know that they would love to be here but are not able to because of Judy's continued deterioration, and we just ask that you would remember them and that uh, I know that it would be an encouragement if you give them a call or write them this week if you have an opportunity. Continue to remember Pat Jacobs, Carolyn Batt, Marie Dalton, <clears throat> which I see Marie's here today. Good to see you. Gladys Alquist and her son, as well as Paul Osborne and his wife, Diane. <clears throat> I also want to take a moment to remind you that if all the messages here at Grace Church are recorded on CD and DVD, as well as many of them are saved uh, to one of our various streaming platforms. So you can always download those via the internet, or if you'd like a copy of the message, you can fill out a little slip in the foyer, put it in the box, and Lord willing, your CD or DVD, whichever you've requested, will be ready for you the next week. We also have a number of of very easy to read, uh, very short reads, but also very easy to understand booklets that our pastor wrote many years ago that are available in the foyer. They're located on the wall in the hallway right outside the pastor's study. And some of those titles are The Doctrine of God, The Doctrine of Christ, The Doctrine of Man, The Doctrine of Salvation, and The Toning Works of Jesus Christ. And again, they're very easy to read and understand, and they're a great way to minister to others by just simply giving them a copy and letting them read and then let the Lord deal with them as they consider the things of God's Word. So there's plenty more upstairs that we keep in storage. So if, you, if you're thinking I'll save those for somebody else who may need them, go ahead and take you a copy of those, and we'll certainly keep them replenished. And then I want to remind you that if you want to support the ministry of Grace Church, there is an offering box located on the round table of the foyer. You can simply place your gift there, and then, of course, pray that the Lord might cause us to use those gifts for the furtherance of the gospel. Finally, there is a still opportunity to sign up if you want to participate in helping us in preparation for or clean up with the fellowship dinners that happen every month. Uh, so if pray about that, and if the Lord leads you to participate in that, again, there's a sign-up sheet on the round table. Thank you all. So good to see all of you today. I hope you've had a good week. I'm thankful that I can 
speak to you today. I had laryngitis the first part of the week, about half through the week, and and I even called Brother Turner and told him to be ready in case I couldn't couldn't teach. So uh, at least my voice is back enough to teach today. I'm thankful to the Lord for that. I want to make a couple of uh, quick announcements before we try to sing the ancient hymn. Can we do that? Uh, okay, it's uh, it's to the tune of Come Thou Almighty King on page six of your hymnal, but the lyrics will be up on the board. And here are the announcements. Number one, the PTI Bible Conference is scheduled for April the 19th this year. Uh, and I don't know all of the speakers. This is a type of conference. It's a scholarly conference dealing with some technical things of theology. Hopefully, they'll have a lighter fare for the evening services. But it will begin on a Sunday evening, uh, April 19th. So you might begin to pray about that and pray for that. Secondly, after the service today, don't let me forget it because I tend to forget these things, I need to meet with all of the men who are willing to teach children's church. Some of you have signed that little clipboard out there, and I need to meet with you over there in the little office, the pastor's office, after the service. Then I'd like for all of our visitors to know, we probably need to mention this each week, that all of that literature out there, all those books and booklets and all that is free. And one of the books that we have given out is Definite Atonement by Dr. Gary D. Long, uh, an excellent, excellent study on that subject, Definite Atonement. So make yourself, uh, you can make those available. We've made them available for you. And you can avail yourself by picking up some of them and uh, doing some reading and some studying on your own. Finally, next week we're probably going to show you a little five-minute uh, video of a work here that I think is worthy of our congregation knowing about it. It's called The House of Hope. The House of Hope, and it's a vision for children which was started in, in Santiago, Chile, by a local businessman named Tom Orn. And uh, this information was given to me two or three weeks ago by uh, uh, Peggy Smith. And I, we are going to show you that video uh, next Sunday morning. It's just a five-minute video. So I, I hope you're present to see that uh, so that you can learn about this very much-needed ministry. Now, let's stand together. We're going to sing this ancient hymn to the tune of Come Thou Almighty King, and then I'll teach. Let me hear that again, sir. Okay, all right, ready? Glory to God on high, let earth to heaven reply. Praise ye his name, angels his love adore, who all our sorrows bore, and saints by evermore, worthy the Lamb. All they around the throne, cheerfully join in one, praising his name. We who have known his blood, feeling our peace, 
with God sound his dear name abroad worthy the land join all ye ransom raised our Lord and Savior bless praise ye his name to him will tribute bring tell him our sovereignty and without ceasing sing worthy Amen. All right, open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41 for a couple of weeks. From our study. Is this on? Cannot tell if it's my voice or if it's on. Okay. Uh, so we detoured away from the story of Joseph, and I'm going to come back to that today. We've had more doctrinal studies, I think, in the last couple of weeks, but I felt impressed to go this way this morning. Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41. And we're just going to read a verse or two. Genesis 41 and a verse or two, beginning in verse 37. The thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed you all of this, there's none so discreet and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according unto your word shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Verse 42. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand. He put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen. And he put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him to ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried before him, bow the knee. And he made him ruler over all of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. May the Lord add his blessings to his word and let God's people say, praise the Lord. You may be seated. Now in our last study, I brought you several different lessons we considered in our last study why the good often seems to go unrewarded. We considered that the Lord does communicate with men. He did this in those days with a dream. He does it today by His words, by His Spirit. We considered the mystery of God's working even when we are inactive. 
we considered the twofold purpose behind trouble. We considered why natural men do not understand the spiritual things. We considered two keys to spiritual wisdom. And we considered why the Pharaoh had two dreams, why the Lord gave the Pharaoh two dreams. Now today, I'd like to kind of turn that around and talk to you about the inferiority of Joseph's promotion. Now we're going to begin with the wonder of Joseph's promotion. I have three points that I want to make today. There are a lot of sub-points, but there are three major points. One, the wonder of Joseph's promotion. Two, that Joseph's promotion compared to the promotion of the children of God through faith in God's Son. And thirdly, the unique nature of Joseph's promotion. So let's begin with the wonder of Joseph's promotion. Now, set the stage for you again. Hopefully all of you are reading this chapter for yourself. But the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, is desperate. He's had two very disturbing dreams. And according to verse 8, none of the wise men, none of his cabinet, none of those who usually advise him have a clue what these two dreams mean. And in the middle of all of this perplexity, an unlikely man approaches the king, verses 9 through 13. And this was the king's chief butler, the cupbearer. And the butler recollects that about two years ago, when he was put in prison by the king, a charge that was later dropped against him because he was restored to his position as cupbearer. When he was in prison, he told the king a young Hebrew interpreted a dream he had and a dream that the baker had. And the interpretations of those two dreams proved to be exactly accurate. And the king was so troubled by these two dreams that he had that when the butler said, or when the uh, chief cupbearer called the butler, when he said, told the king about this young man in prison, a prisoner. Now, I used to visit the prisons. I used to visit the jails. And I can tell you, you hear all kinds of stories. I've got a friend out in Louisiana right now. He has a ministry to a prison there. He goes two or three times a week, talks to the prisoners. And you have all, you hear all kinds of stories, most of them excuses about why people are there. So you usually don't put a lot of weight into what some of these prisoners tell you. But the king is so desperate that he's willing, he's so troubled about these dreams that he's willing even to hear what a prisoner has to say about them. So in verse 14, we read that the Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, and he shaved himself, and he changed his clothes, and he came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to him, I have dreamed a dream, and nobody can interpret it, and I've heard say of you that you can understand a dream 
to interpret it. I want to encourage all of you to bring your textbook to class. Your hymn book, H-I-M. Bring that to class with you. Bring you some notebook paper. Those of you watching by the internet, I encourage you to open your Bible and follow along with us. So the king told his dream to Joseph. While all those present, the king's servants and the king's advisors and the king's wise men held their breath and listened. And I'm sure that the Pharaoh and every member of his cabinet were astonished when they heard Joseph tell the king the meaning of his dream. And he told them matter-of-factly. There was no let me pray about it. Let me think about it. But while they were standing there, aghast, struck with awe and panic as they considered the coming famine that Joseph said was predicted in those dreams, Joseph told them what could be done about it. And in verses 33 through 36, he lays out a seven-step plan. And then something amazing happened right there on the spot without any further comment, without any demands of truthfulness or proof of the accuracy of Joseph's interpretation and advice. Both the Pharaoh and his cabinet unanimously approved the plan. Look at verse 37. And the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And then the king addressed his cabinet. Verse 38. This is where we began reading. Can we find such a man as this, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And apparently they all agreed because... He says in verses 39 through 40, Joseph is directly addressed by the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh says to Joseph, For as much as God has showed you all of this, there's nobody so discreet and wise as you are. You're going to be over my house, and according unto your words shall my people be ruled only in the throne Will I be greater than you? Let me interpret that. I think it's clear enough, but let me interpret it. Pharaoh says, it is certainly God who has shown you all of this. And since you have greater wisdom and insight than anyone around here, I'm going to put you in charge. And the, the king's announcement in verse 41, is an official announcement. He makes it official. Verse 41, I do now appoint you governor of Egypt. Then it says, beginning in verse 42, it says, the king removed from his finger the ring engraved with the royal seal, and he put it on Joseph's finger. And then he commanded that Joseph should be dressed in a royal robe and a gold chain to be placed around his neck. And finally, he gave him the second royal chariot to ride in and a guard of honor to go ahead of him and announce his arrival wherever he went. Verse 43. 
And as if this were not enough, the king made sure everyone knew exactly what he was doing. He ratified the entire proceeding. Verse 44, I am Pharaoh. (laughs) Just in case anybody has any doubts, I'm the king. No one in all of Egypt shall so much as lift a hand or a foot without your permission. Wow. Joseph's life, as I said in our last study, and I'm going to rehearse this in your ears this morning, Joseph's life has been dramatically and forever changed. For 13 years, he has been persecuted and tried by his envious brothers, by Potiphar, by Potiphar's wife, in prison. He's, when he's 17 years old, all this started happening. Now he's 30 years old. 30 years old. And for all of those years, it's been nothing but thumbs down. It's been nothing but trouble, nothing but trial. If Joseph were like us, he would say, why in the world is all of this happening to me? I don't think God even knows who I am or where I am or what I'm doing. He's not interested in me. Surely, if he were interested in me, I wouldn't be going through all of this. But Joseph was a young man who knew his God. He knew the truth of God. He knew the God of his father and the God of his grandfather and the God of his great-grandfather Abraham. And he kept looking to him and praying to him and waiting on him. And now, in an instant, his life has been dramatically and forever changed. Here's what happened. When Joseph awakened on that day, he was in prison. But when the day ended, he was prime minister. When the day began, he was wearing the shackles of a prisoner. When it ended, he was wearing the gold chain of authority. When he awoke that day, he was dressed in the rags of a dungeon. But when the day ended, he was dressed in the fine linen of royalty. In the morning of that fateful day, he awakened and walked in the prison as a slave. But now he's to ride in the second chariot the chariot just behind the Pharaoh, and anywhere he goes, there's an announcement, Joseph, the governor of Egypt, is coming. Bow the knee. And Joseph got up that morning when the sun came up on that fateful day. Joseph was with all the other prisoners, and he was taking orders from the captain of the guard, just like they were. But now his word, Joseph's word, is the law of Egypt. When he got up that morning, he had to ask permission to get a cup of water. But now all the affairs of the kingdom of Egypt must pass through him. Everyone and anyone must have Joseph's consent to buy or to sell. And as we have just considered, the king said to Joseph, verse 44, Without you shall no man lift up his hand or his foot in all of the land of Egypt. That was quite a day, wasn't it? What a promotion. But I got news for you. Joseph's promotion is not, cannot be compared to ours. Can't be compared to the promotion that we have 
in the Lord Jesus Christ and the promotion that we shall have when he comes again. You remember when Jesus praised John the Baptist? Jesus said in Matthew 11 and Luke chapter 7, he said, among those born of women, there has not arisen a greater than John the Baptist. Now, that's something for Jesus Christ to say. There's never been a greater person born of woman. John the Baptist is number one. That, that takes in Moses, that takes in Abraham, that takes in Isaiah, that takes in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, all the prophets, all of these people, takes them all in. But then Jesus didn't stop there. You know what he said next? He said, But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Now you think about that. And I say to you this morning, Joseph's promotion is not to be compared to the promotion that the redeemed children of God have and have been promised in the Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt in my mind that day seemed like a dream to Joseph. No doubt all the sufferings and the trials and the tribulations the last 13 years melted into obscurity. Joseph was like the woman that we read about in John chapter 16, the woman that Jesus spoke about who was having a baby. And he said, when a woman is about to give birth, she's in pain, and she is sad because of her suffering. But when the baby is born, she forgets all the suffering. And Jesus said to his disciples, John 16, verses 21 and 22, this is how it is with you. Now you are sad, but I'll see you again, and your hearts will be filled with gladness, the kind of gladness that no one can take from you. And so I say again, my friends, Joseph's experience, Joseph's promotion, Joseph's exaltation, as great as it was, cannot be compared to what you and I, who are believers in Christ, will experience, not only upon death, but upon the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ when we leave our bodies to go with, be with the Lord or when the Lord shall come again in great glory and majesty. Oh, what will it be when the trump of God shall sound and the saints of God who have gone on before us shall come again with our risen Lord and the dead in Christ shall be raised to life and all who are alive shall be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air. Talk about promotion. I heard a woman the other evening on television, and I was on the Fox Network, in fact, and she said she had gone to heaven, and she said she had also seen hell. And she began to describe what she saw. And I said in my mind, wait a minute, wait a minute. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that he was caught up to the third heaven. And he said, I saw things so wonderful they cannot be spoken of. Let me read it to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. 
I heard things which cannot be put into words, things that human lips may not speak. In the language of the King James Version, he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for man to utter. According to the International Standard Version, he heard things that cannot be expressed in words, things that no human being has a right even to mention. And finally, in the New Revised Standard Version, he heard things that are not to be told that no mortal is permitted to speak. You know, I think I'll go with Paul on this one. Rather than this woman and others who say that they've been caught up to heaven or had a vision of heaven. You can mark this down. If the heaven one has seen or one has experienced in these so-called near-death experiences can be described, it is not the heaven of God. For that heaven is indescribable. Listen to these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I hath not seen, ear has not heard, Neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those that love him. Talk about promotion. <laughs> what will it be when we mortals shall put on immortality? When our corruptible bodies shall in the twinkling of an eye be made incorruptible. When death is swallowed up in victory. When we shall look upon him who loved us and gave himself for us when we shall see him face to face, when we shall know him as even now also we are known, when the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of God and his Christ, when Lucifer, the great serpent called the devil, along with his angels, is put out of business forever, when there's no more sin, no more suffering, no more crying, no more death. Talk about promotion. I tell you, my friends, we shall receive a promotion that Joseph never dreamed about. Joseph received the signet ring, but we have received the ring of sonship. Joseph received the vestures of fine linen, the royal dress, the dress of honor, but we have the robe of perfect righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ charged to our account. Joseph received the gold chain, the, 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 the badge of rank and dignity and wealth. But we have the true riches, the riches of God's amazing grace in Christ, purchased by his blood. Joseph was to ride in the second chariot, the state carriage, <clears throat> but we won't need a chariot, will we? I tell you what, if we're in the bride... The bride rides in the chariot that the groom rides in. We'll ride with him. Joseph was to have public respect, verse 43. When his, arrived, when his arrival was announced, men were to bow the knee in respect. But we will be happy to be in that number who bow the knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Listen to part of John's testimony from Revelation chapter 4. Behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. 
and round about the throne there were 24 seats, and upon the seats there were 24 elders, and they were clothed in white robes, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And the 24 elders fell down before him that sat on the throne, and they worship him that liveth forever and ever, and they cast down their thrones their crowns before the throne, and they sang, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and they were created. That's Revelation 4. You can read more about it in Revelation chapter 7. Yes, Joseph was a faithful man, probably more faithful than any of the patriarchs. And he received a great promotion. But what is that compared to what the believing children of God have been promised? I tell you, the least of the redeemed children of God will receive an infinitely greater promotion than Joseph could have ever dreamed about. And here's the third lesson. Joseph acted on behalf of his people. Joseph was a representative person. What happened to him happened to his family. If he was cursed, they were cursed. If he was blessed, they were blessed. He was a representative person. The promises that were made to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob were carried out through Joseph. He was joined to those who came before him and to those not yet born. He is their representative. He is acting on their behalf. Whatever happened to him directly impacted and affected all of the children of Abraham. Now I ask you a question. How can Abraham's descendants inherit a land promised to them if they can't get to it? How can they get to it if they all die in a coming famine. The Lord told Abraham in Genesis chapter 15, when he entered into a covenant with him, know for sure that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. Listen to Genesis 15, long before this happened. And they shall serve them, for they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve, I will judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great substance. My friends, it is through Joseph that the children of Abraham will survive and thrive. And it is through the one that Joseph is such a wonderful picture of, Christ, that we shall survive and thrive. Israel did not have the representative we have. They had the son of Jacob. We have the son of God. They had a mortal man. We had the ancient of days robed in the flesh. They had the great grandson of Abraham. We have the one whose day Abraham saw and was glad. Jesus said to the Jews, your father Abraham saw my day and he was glad. And they said, you're not even 50 years old. You've seen Abraham? He said, before Abraham was, I am. 
I existed long before Abraham. Through him, through our Joseph, through the Lord Jesus Christ, we are children of Abraham and we are heirs to the promises. Romans chapter 4, verse 13, listen to this. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. All of the promises made are fulfilled in, by, and through our Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to this, Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. You belong to Christ, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 29. The question is, are we joined to Jesus as our Joseph? The people of God, the redeemed people of God, have a fourfold union with the Lord Jesus Christ. We join to him through four unions. Number one, there's a natural union. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, that Jesus did not take upon himself the nature of angels, but the seed of Abraham so that in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren. We are in a natural union with the Lord Jesus by his incarnation, by his coming into the world. So there's a natural union. Secondly, there is a mystical union, a sacred union, as a bride has with her husband. The believer is married to Christ. When when Paul speaks about marriage in Ephesians chapter 5, after he's addressed the men, said, love your wives, address the women, and say, submit yourself to your husband as unto the Lord. Then he gets down to the end of all of this, and this is what he says, verse 32. He says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. We are joined to Christ in a, mir- a mystical union. It's a great mystery. It's a secret that's still kept from the world, but it's revealed unto the redeemed. Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, Father, I pray that they may be one with us as we are one. My friends, Jesus came into the world to seek and to save his beloved, his bride, and Joseph the Joseph of the New Testament, the husband of Mary, who was the mother of the Lord Jesus, he was told by the angel, thou shalt call his name Jesus, Jehovah, the Savior, Jehovah salvation, for he shall save his people from their sins. There was a natural union. He was made of the seed of Abraham. There was a mystical union like between a husband and wife. Thirdly, there's a federal union. Union. In the Garden of Eden, the first Adam's bride was brought to him by his father, who was God the Father. Jesus is called in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, he's called the second Adam, the last Adam. 
the father gave to his son a bride. And the Holy Spirit woos the bride and ties the knot in sacred federal union to Christ. Our Lord often spoke of the bride and the bridegroom. He spoke of them in John chapter 3. And so did John in the book of Revelation chapter 21. John closes the book of Revelation with these words, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that hears say, Come. And let him that is thirsty. Are you thirsty? And let him that is a thirst come, and let him come who wills, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So there's a natural union, there's a mystical union, there is a federal union, and fourthly, there is a spiritual union. We are, we are joined to Christ by grace through faith. He's joined to us by his spirit and his word. He told his disciples, John chapter 14, verse 23, that he would be with them and he would be in them. If a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him And we will come unto him and make our abode with him. John 14, 23. John 15, 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. So as Joseph acted on behalf of his people, so did our Lord Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you to hold fast the hope that you have. The question this morning is, are you joined to the Lord Jesus Christ? Now let me say this, I never have a doubt about the Lord's promises. My question is not about what he's promised. My question is about myself and whether I have really believed him. Have I really trusted him? Have I really thrown myself on him? You know, Paul wrote to the saints of God in the New Testament, and he said, make your calling and election sure. Make your calling and your election sure. And I'll tell you how to make your election sure. You can't go back into the portals of eternity and see any names written in the book of life. But I tell you this, if you make your calling sure, you can make your election sure. Let's turn as we close this morning to that familiar book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The reason the saints of God often struggle is not because we doubt Him, but because we doubt ourselves. The heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things. Who can know it? Our hearts can deceive us. We can be deceived. The scriptures talk about multitudes being deceived by the devil. 
I think there's lots of deception going on today. Lots of it. He begins Romans chapter 8 by saying there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Some scholars say the remainder of that verse is not in the original manuscripts who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. What the law couldn't do, Christ did. The law can make me guilty, but it can't get rid of my guilt. The law, like a mirror, can show me my blemishes, but it can't do anything to remove them. But he says the righteousness of the law will be fulfilled in those, verse 4, who do not walk after the flesh. I don't have a problem if you want to eliminate the second half of verse 1. He says it again later in the chapter. Same thing. If you want to say, well, the original autographs did not have the second part of verse 1, fine. He's got it down here in verse 4. There's no way in the world that a person who is walking in disobedience, living in disobedience, spitting in the face of God, can have any assurance that he or she belongs to Christ. Not at that point. God will have to deliver you from that before you can have some assurance that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I know this, he's going to save his people. He's going to save his people from their sin. He says in verse 5, to those that are after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. They that are after the spirit, mind the things of the spirit. To be carnally minded it's to be saved and to be a carnal Christian. No, sir, to be carnally minded is death. Now, wait a minute, Brother Sasser. You mean to tell me that all the Christians are, are spiritual? No, I don't mean to tell you that. I think you go through being spiritual and carnal every day, vacillating, going back and forth all the time. But let me tell you this. There's nowhere in the Scripture, even when Paul addressed the saints in Corinth, and he said, are you not carnal? He's talking about them being carnal about this thing that he's talking to them about. He's not saying you are absolutely characterized by carnality and you're living in carnality and there's no difference between you and the most ungodly person in this world except that you made a profession of faith in Jesus. My friends, there are multitudes deceived about that. They're deceived about that. I want to live as he wants me to live, and yet I know I fail every single day, every moment, every hour. But I get back up, and I go back to him, and I confess my sins, and I start out again. And it seems to me that when I read the scripture to the people of God, did you ever read The Holy War by John Bunyan? That's about this war that's going on inside of us. It's what Paul is talking about over here in Romans uh, chapter 6 and 7 when he says, I can't do what I want to do. I want to do right, but I find myself failing. And he says right here, if you're walking after the flesh, you can't please God. Verse 8, he says the carnal mind is enmity against God. Verse 7. He said, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. Not talking about being filled with the Spirit, but just the Spirit of God dwelling in you, 
But if any man does not have the Spirit of Christ, verse 9, he is none of his. Verse 14, verse 13. If you live after the flesh, that's live, living after the flesh. You're dominated by it. You continuously are that way. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. My friends, our Lord Jesus Christ died to have a people who love him. And if we love him, we want to walk pleasing to him, don't we? We want to be pleasing to him. And that's where this doubt comes from. This doubt comes from the fact that we know that we fail. Which person, which of us could say, I know that I always, like Jesus said one time, he said, Father, I, I said what I said because of those standing, but I know you always hear me, and I know that I always please you. We can't say that. Only Christ can say that. We are failures. But we're not saved by ourselves, we're saved by Him. But there is a battle. Because I have, not only is my destiny changed, not only am I justified, which is a forensic term, a legal term, I, as I stand before God's law, I am no longer condemned. That's what he, believed, what he starts out with Romans 8, 1. There's therefore now no condemnation to them in Christ Jesus. But... I have also have another little thing that's happened to me. What's that? I've been given a new spirit, a new heart, a new mind. I've been regenerated. I'm not what I was. Not only is my destiny not the same, but I'm not what I was. I am a changed person. I can never go back and be what I was before. There have been a couple of times when I've tried it. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You, you, the, the Lord will, sometimes I think he, he beats some of his people to death. I really believe that. Arthur Pink believes in John chapter 14 when he talked about taking away the branches and pruning them and whipping them and giving them. A, he believed that the Lord will take you out of here if you, get, if you really belong to him and you just get so far that you, you, you're going so far this way, he'll take you out. And we know that happened to the Corinthian saints. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when he said, because some of you have abused the Lord, even in the Lord's Supper, he says, some of you are asleep, some of you are sickly. That's the chastening hand of the Lord. So he says, he tells us here in chapter 8 that the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed us and that we are joined to him just like Israel was joined to Joseph. What shall we say to these things? He says in verse 28, famous verse for most of us, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the what? The called. That's what I started talking about a few minutes ago. Call. You make your calling and election sure. You make your calling sure, God take care of the election. You make your calling sure, those who are called according to his purpose. 
It said he foreknew some people. He loved some people. Verse 29. And he predestinated them to be conformed to the image of his son. And I got news for all of us. Being conformed to the image of his son begins now in this world. It won't be perfected until we see him, but it begins now. And it's a tough process. That's why the scripture says straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Wide is the gate, broad is the way that leads unto death, and many there be that go in thereat. This is a struggle, this is a war. It's a holy war. It's something that we struggle with every day, but... We know our salvation is secure. We know our salvation is sure, not because of our ups and downs, but because he, he sits on the throne. There's no change in him yesterday, today, and forever. He intercedes for us. He makes intercession for us and says, Father, don't let sin, don't let the devil, don't let the wicked one get that person because I died for them. I paid for their sins. And he's the one who keeps us. Paul says, and I need to close, but let's go back to chapter 7 real quick. Chapter 7. Hope I haven't lost you in what I've been trying to teach this morning. In chapter 7, this is when Paul says that Verse 15, that which I do, I allow not. I don't consent to it. What I want to do, I don't do. What I hate, that's what I do. If I do what I don't want to do, I'm consenting to the law that it's good. The law is the uh, standard. So it's no more I that does it, it's sin that dwells in me. Verse 17. I know that in me, verse 18, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. To will is present with me. Verse 18. How to perform that which is good, I find not. He says in verse 22, I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law. Verse 23, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, verse 24, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Where's your salvation to be found, Paul? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so that with the mind I serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. My dear friends, we have a representative. We have someone who has wrought our salvation, and we ought to love him, and we ought to desire to please him. It's not our love for him, as I've said hundreds of times, but it's his love for us that saves us. Nevertheless, because he has wrought a work in my heart, I have a desire to please him. How can I make peace with that which put him to death? How can I grab that once put him to death and clutch it to my breast and say, well, I just can't let you go. I want to go to heaven when I die. Jesus has said, I'm going to heaven when I die, but I just can't let you go. My dear friends, that's a deceived soul. That's a soul that's deceived. 
If the Lord doesn't put in our hearts a desire to love him and to please him, though our pleasing him has nothing to do with our salvation, it's because we have a new nature. And if we have a new nature, if we've been born again, then we have a heavenly desire. We're looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. We're looking for that heavenly Jerusalem. May the Lord add his blessings on the teaching of his word.